Okay, welcome to the Grit Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Sky Osborne. This is episode 34, and today's guest is going to be a very special guest, probably one of the most special guests I could ever have on the podcast. I will not reveal it yet. First, I will go to the playlist shuffle and do my thing. So if you're new to the podcast, at the beginning of every episode, I uh, go to one of my playlists and I hit shuffle. And that's the kind of the music uh, for the intro and how we start the podcast. So hopefully it's not too embarrassing. And uh, without further ado, um, I'm going to go to my old school playlist and hit shuffle in honor of our guest and see what we get. (laughs) I love Earth, Wind, and Fire. I didn't want to come in before that hook. I wanted to let that hook ride. <laughs> it's so good. Okay, so this is episode 34 of the Grip Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Matthew Sky Osborne. Thanks for tuning in. Um, you can follow the Grip Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google Play, uh, Podbean, I believe iHeartRadio as well. Um, forgive me if I'm wrong about that. Uh, just search the Grip, T H E. Grip, G-R-I-P. You should see my pretty face on the cover. Uh, I am currently reaching out to an artist to see if we can get me to draw, if I can get him to draw me a new cover uh, for the podcast. We'll see how that goes. I won't reveal him yet, but I'm, I'm trying really hard to get this guy to do it. Um, you can follow us on Pod. Wait, I'm sorry, uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter. And I believe that's it. On uh, Instagram, it's at the Grip Podcast. Facebook at the Grip Podcast. Um, on Twitter, it's Matthew Sky Oz O Z as in zebra. And um, you can also get your Be Humane wristbands. Uh, I have them in black and white. And the point of the Be Humane wristband is to be a conversation starter. Uh, you wear the the. Um, wristband and people see it that's what it is and you get to tell them about whatever your be humane issue is whether that's uh civil rights equal rights uh, women's rights um uh, income inequality gentrification uh you name it uh, it's whatever you want it to be because that to be one thing can be five things can be under things it can be global warming if you want uh that's really it i'm gonna go ahead and uh, let this rock out for just a second, and I will let you know who the guest is, and we'll begin. Hey, 
Yes, that is September, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Probably one of my most favorite groups in the whole world. And like I said, I did that in honor of my guest, went to my old school playlist. Today's guest is no other than my mother, <laughs> Marianne Osborne. Uh, my mom is a very important person in my life. Uh, my mom and dad um, are still happily married. And um, they've been role models of mine for quite some time. And my mom um, has um, has always been there for me to talk to about issues and things. And not to say that my dad wasn't. Uh, my dad was there in another form as far as a uh, role model, as far as how to be a man, how to respect women, um, you know, how to work, work ethic. So they both, you know, served uh, different purposes in, 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 in my life and had, um, you know, different meanings. And so um, my mom is uh, the talker. <laughs> so um, I asked her if she would come on the podcast, and she said she, said she would. So um, we're going to go ahead and call her and uh, get this show on the road. Hello. Hi, Mom. Hey, Matt. <laughs> How you doing? I'm good. How about you? I'm good. Um, we're live on the podcast, so uh, don't say anything you don't want to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't say anything that'll get me on CNN and get me in trouble. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I won't do that. <laughs> um, are you pretty close to your phone? Do you have me on speaker? How do you have me set up there? Uh, I have you on speaker. Okay. Can you possibly take me off speaker and hold it up to your ear? Okay. Sometimes I don't hear it quite as well, but yes, I can do that. Okay. Do that and let me know what it sounds like because you come in clear um, for the listeners if you're um, right on your phone. Okay. Let's go ahead and try that. Okay. Hold on. Yeah, that sounds better already. Okay. Uh, can you hear me still? Yeah, it's not quite as well, but I can hear you. Okay. Is the volume like low? Uh, yes, what, it's low. Um, are you able to turn up the volume on the phone? Is, is that is it all the way up? Um, I have it all the way up, okay. I think. But you know, I'm not really good with settings and things like that, so I don't want to mess it up. Okay, so. okay. But I'll, I'll listen. <laughs> but it sounds like you can hear me, okay? Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll make it work until it's not working. Okay. <laughs> Um, so I, I kind of already did a little intro and I was saying to them, um, I was just telling them a little bit about who you are and what you have, um, meant in my life. And I basically said that, um, you and dad both serve kind of different purposes for me in my life growing up. Like you, for the most part, were there as a sounding board for a lot of things. And I could talk to you about things and, and you would be there and, uh, talk me through a lot of the things I would go through um, growing up. And I was saying dad was there more or less kind of as like a role model and kind of set an example for me as to like uh, how to be a man, how to be responsible, um, you know, go to work, work ethic, and a lot of those things. So you guys kind of both serve different purposes in my life. 
And um, so that's why I was saying I'm having you on and not Pops. <laughs> You're the talker. <laughs> yes, and listener, and listener. Yeah, very good listener. Because um, yeah. I have to say, you know, from the bottom of my heart, if if you weren't there for me to talk to, yeah, I don't know if I'd be here right now. Well, my mother was like that. She was very uh, loving, kind. She was a great listener, and she always supported me no matter what I was doing. But she always corrected me, though. She didn't let me do any, get away with anything wrong. But she was just hands-on and uh, very forthcoming, and so I got that from her. Yeah. And um, that's um, – oh, I never thought I would talk about Big Mama on the podcast. I'm glad you brought her up. <laughs> um we as it, it's and I tell this story before I told this before where um, we always knew her as Big Mama, and the funny thing was was I thought that was exclusive to us, like that was our family's thing, was calling her calling your grandma Big Mama, and it was funny when like I I would um, hear other black families say Big Mama, or I saw like that Martin Lawrence movie Big Mama's house. <laughs> I'm like, wait, other people use that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, you and um, your mom had a great relationship, and I'm I'm grateful that I got to know her for some you know some time that she was here, and um, kind of saying like, when I said like I didn't know I I didn't know if I would be here without you. I don't mean like I would be dead or anything. I just don't know that I would be this far in life without, you know, having you there, um, to talk to, um, about, you know, all the things that, you know, I went through, um, growing up because, you know, I wasn't, um, a lot of the kids didn't like me. Some of them did, you know, (laughs) (laughs) one or two, and I, I had nobody to talk to. Um, and I remember one of the first conversations I had with you, um, where I think, I don't even know if you remember this mom, but, um, I mean, I guess I've been talking to you my whole life, but I can kind of remember like getting older. Um, and when I, I, when I was, I won't say her name, but I was dating a girl in high school, a uh, real popular girl. And, um, uh, I, I think you might know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> and I just remember having issues with, uh, her and trying to figure out what I wanted and what her family wanted. And I remember being candid with you about her and dating and you would just talk to me about things. And I would say things to you like, Hey mom, you know, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> you remember any of that? Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And so, um, that's kind of the topic, um, that we we're going to talk about today is, is dating. And, um, that just kind of came to my mind right now, um, going back that far. I, I can even go back further to when um, I was dating. I went on my first date with Joanna McAllister, and I had her on the podcast. You believe that I had her on the podcast, Mom? Yeah, I, that, that was that's really going back. It was probably, what, fifth grade, sixth grade? I think that was sixth grade. <laughs> um, so I guess I just kind of want to ask you um, – just kind of your initial thoughts, if you, if you want to share about, um, I don't know if you want to talk about dating in general, or maybe talk about how you kind of coached 
me through it. Okay. Well, first, let me go back to the big mama. Okay. Uh, and hit that. I think when it was not exclusive to my family, but other people, and it's a term of endearment. It's the woman that gives up everything for you. And it's not necessarily your mother, mm-hmm. but most people have experienced a woman like that. And we just call her Big Mama. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's it's just a love. It's a special love that you get from, you know, that type of personality that would, you know, do anything for you to help you. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, uh, it's a term of endearment. Big Mama. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So, um, so with the dating though, like when did, um, did Big Mama do that with you? Yes. How you talked to me so candidly about it? Yes, very very (laughs) much so. She didn't pull any punches. She was just right on target and she would guide me. Like going back to Joanne when you were probably in the sixth grade. Well, when you told me that you liked her and you wanted to take her to the movies, and, you know, I didn't shut you down or, you know, whatever. I just said, well, we should call her mom and introduce ourselves to her mother. It's the proper way you do things. Yeah. And that's what we did. And she appreciated it. And she said she could go as long as there was an escort. Yeah. And it happened to be Chris. <laughs> <laughs> My little brother. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she just wanted a third party there. Just to... her, wait, her sister was there too. Her older sister. Oh, she went too. Yeah, oh, okay. I remember that. Yeah. yeah, so I just think there's a candid way to not make things complicated, but to make things simple and easy, and you just do it by being open and honest. Um, yeah. did um, did you have any? I guess thoughts or concerns about her being a white girl and me being a black boy? No, that I wasn't um, pushed in those areas. I was just, my mother just, you know, did love and respect. And so that's how I looked at it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, not, you you know, to, to, to try to make it a race issue because it's about people. Yeah. People have made race an issue. It's about people. Well, you treat people across the board. Yeah. So mm-hmm. did um as far as being like open and honest about like dating and and having those conversations you said Big Mama did that with you. Mm-hmm. Um were you always open with her and just talk or did she have to pull things out of you cuz I'm trying to figure out kind of how you got to be that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, I had two sisters okay. older, older than I was. I was a baby. And I saw how they operated, and I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the... What do you mean? Uh, the uh, hiding and sneaking and, you know, things like that. And my mother was always forthcoming with them too. But for some reason, their personalities were different. But I looked at it like, well, she's trying to help. She's trying to make things easy, proper, you know, respectful. Yeah. So I chose to go that way with her. And since she was already open and was, you know, available and wanted to do things proper, 
I just took advantage of it. And because of that, our relationship uh, was great. Okay. So it just, yeah. it just kind of happened over time. It's trust. I trusted her, even though when I wanted to do things that were uh, maybe not right or improper, I just trusted that she had the right information for me. And, yeah. you know, she said, if she said, don't do this or do this, I trusted it. I just trusted it and it turned out, you know, good for me. Yeah. Because then I was able to have that relationship with my children. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, so it's, you have to be willing as a, as a, as a younger person or, you know, to your mom or whoever's trying to help you, you have to be willing to measure it and take it in and know that they're trying to do the very best for you. Yeah. They're not, they're not the enemy. Yeah, because I, I guess you hear today, and not just today, I guess just kind of in the past, just generally speaking, how like kids sneak around a lot yeah, and do things, and it's like they don't trust their parents. And that's kind of right. weird to me because your parents have been through things, right? Yes. They've lived life more life than you, obviously. But it, I've, I feel like kids so often look at parents – like, oh, they don't know anything. They're not cool and they're lame or whatever. And like part of me kind of thinks, does that kind of come from the parents not being open and talking to them? I think so. And then it starts very early, you know, like with you and I, you know, you were in the third grade when you told me you wanted to make the honor roll. And I said, well, you know, OK. And you told me you needed certain things. To prepare you, you need, a, you need a children's dictionary with pictures. Everybody has a dictionary in their home. Yeah. But it's, it's always geared toward the adult. So the child says, okay, I want this, I want that. I'm like, okay. So immediately I got on it and I bought you that dictionary. And you started reading it and studying it and learning the words and whatever. And the next thing I know, you had made the honor roll. And you made it from <laughs> third grade all the way up, you know. But it starts very early with the relationship and you build it. So when the child gets to puberty and that part of his life, he can still come to you and say, I need this, <laughs> not the dictionary, but I need other advice or uh, they're having uh, conversations at school about different things. And you can come back home and get the clarity that you need, you know, to be able to excel and do things that you want to do or not do. Yeah. Yeah, so you start that early. Yeah, because that was kind of the thought I had just kind of thinking about it right now is that it's like you see so many or if I've, see, I've seen so many unhealthy relationships Yeah, just around the world, right? And I got to wonder if some of that doesn't start, you know, when with the children – and the parents not talking to the children and sharing their things. It's, it's kind of like most parents, well, I, just some, I don't say most, just some parents I've seen try to paint like this perfect picture yeah. about who they were and who they are. And that doesn't help anybody. No, it doesn't. And it's not true. <laughs> and it'll come out eventually, you know, as the child grows older and say, okay, well, mom or dad did this. I didn't know he did that, you know? So you, yeah, you try to, you, you, there are no perfect people, first of all. Right. 
your mom's not perfect, your dad's not perfect, you know. But it's the the communication, the open openness in the relationship that you try to build. So when you do have teenagers and when they get to that point where they're out there, you want them to listen to you and to be responsible. So, you you know, you, you build that. It, you don't wait till they get to that age. You have to start that like when they're small. Yeah, it's almost like it's too late then because they're kind yeah. of already yeah. somewhat established and who they think they want to be. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and they have their friends. Peer pressure is a heck of a thing, you know. Yeah. So you got I had peer pressure when I was in high school and I wanted a boyfriend and I wanted to date and whatever and the boys that I liked didn't like me, but I knew what was what was right, what was wrong and I didn't try to make anything happen. Yeah. I'm like, no, this is not the right person. They might look good to the eye, but this is not the right person for you. You know, so you can make better decisions when you have the communication between your parents and yourself and you can spot things and you can be a better judge. But if you have peer pressure and those kind of things coming at you as you mature, it's it's a little harder. Yeah. So um, I keep kind of wanting to go back to like the parents because I feel like that's a big part in the upbringing of the children, obviously, because not just with dating, because you've done this with, with, with us a lot where you're, you're always saying things like, I want to help you guys out and put you guys in a better position, you know, in life to move forward and do what you want to do. So you, you do that. You've done that in every way possible, <laughs> you know, in my life, whether that was like, you know, sky sound or, um, you know, my ideas and dreams are my book or moving out or dating, whatever it was, you were always trying to help me out and put us, not just me, but my, you know, my brothers in a better <coughs> position to move forward. Excuse me. So like, it seems that I see a lot of parents behavior. It seems to kind of be self-serving where you hear things like, you know, when you turn 18, you got to get out the house. Um, or like, like we were just saying, they kind of paint this perfect picture of who they were growing up and they rewrite history. And like, none of this is like helping the kid. <laughs> right. Yeah. Correct. So I, 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 I'm trying to take notes about all these things because I want to make sure that I do a good job with Hayden, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes, I understand. And make sure that he is um, that that we're somebody he can talk to. Um, and a lot of the kids, it seems like if the parents aren't there to to talk to them to be open with them, like you're saying, the peer pressure teaches them the internet, uh, you know, TV, their friends, just whatever, or they just make up things. I don't know um, about you know, who they want to be and what they think dating really is. Yeah. Well, one thing you have to, you, like I say, it's the communication and you started very young mm -hmm. and you build on that. You don't wait, um, till they're at a certain age and then you try to tell them what to do. And then another thing is the parenting, uh, people will push their dreams and what they want into the child's life and not really get to know the child. And that's pressure 
because the child is always thinking they have to please you to be happy. And that makes them unhappy on the inside because through the development process, you have to see who they're going to be and what they like. Yeah. You have to listen and you have to be hands-on. You can't just uh, sit them in front of a TV or a computer. You really have to be intimately involved and pour into the child's brain and heart. Uh, uh, example, uh, most of your listeners won't remember the Vietnam War, mm -hmm. but uh, I was writing some notes one time and my husband, uh, right after we got out of college, they would they had the draft going back then, so you had no choice. Mm -hmm. If you were drafted, you had to go to the military. And so as soon as he was out of college, he's the, he's the only boy now which they're not supposed to do because it, if, the, if the person gets killed in combat, there's no one to carry on the family name. Mm -hmm. That's the old rule, the old school rule. But they grabbed him right after college, and he ended up going to Vietnam, found himself on a ship going over to a foreign country to fight in a war he knew nothing about. And then when I asked him about that uh, years later, he said it was his mother's love that kept him sane. Oh, uh, wow. And that's, that's, that's how she poured into his life and made such a difference because he was scared to death walking around with a, these, these guns and have to kill another man. That's a hell of a thing, you know. Yeah. You're just, what, 20, 21 years old, and there you are in this hostile environment. Someone's trying to kill you or you have to kill them. But that pouring in of his mother's love helped him sustain those two years in the military. Mm -hmm. So when you pour into your children, you don't know what they're going to face. You don't know what's going to come into their lives. So you invest that time with them when they're small. They can always pull from your heart that love that you put into their heart, and it will sustain life. It's a, it's, it's a real thing. Yeah, I believe that. I, I can speak to that firsthand. <laughs> yeah, and when kids are, when you trust them to to pursue their own dreams and their own goals and you don't criticize, you might want them to be a doctor, you might end up being a garbage man. You don't, you don't put that type of pressure on him because it's his life. He needs to be able to be happy at what he does. And everybody has a different purpose. Yeah. And you, I hear you say this a lot, that it's funny. I don't hear a lot of people say this, but you always say people treat kids the wrong way. Yes. And those kids always grow up. I don't know what how you say it, but you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like if, if you can be kind to a little child, say, that's three years old, you come into a house and there's all adults and then there's this one little kid and you walk right by him. You don't say hello. You don't give them a smile or whatever. It kind of tells something about your personality. But if you can be kind to a kid and do something, you know, nice, pat him on the head, give him a hug or a kiss or whatever, that child will always remember you. When he grows up, he will always remember that. It means a lot to kids. Mm -hmm. And then when you're old, that same kid will respect you, come to see you, visit you. Uh, it's it's just um, an element of love and respect again. And you just don't mistreat kids. You don't disrespect them just because they're three years old. It's a human being. 
Yeah, and, and a lot of people do. And I've I've practiced that firsthand, and I've seen it firsthand in your life and in Big Mama's life, how you do that. And like the, like you said, those kids grow up. Yes. And they never forget you. No. <laughs> no. And they listen to you um, like nobody else. And that that's funny. And um, um, I, I, I'm kind of wondering if, I, we might have already kind of answered this if we're being honest. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, why do you think, um, as far as dating is concerned, why so many people get it wrong? I think they don't really take the time to study each other. Um, people will will get into relationships and they're all emotional or they are all about themselves. And it's not about yourself. It's about getting to know the other person. You know who you are, so you get to know the other person, and it's like homework. It's a serious side to dating as well as fun and exciting. There's everything is like I, I like the three part rule. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, you got to. Ha- you're gonna have those exciting times, those fun times, but you can't leave out the seriousness, and that's another person's personality their goals, their life. You have to look at that also. And if you just rush it for the fun and excitement, you're going to miss it. And yeah. then you could end up in a bad situation. You have to study, do a little homework. A lot of times a lot of homework because sometimes the inner self is covered by a hard shell. And you, it might take more time and more work, but that's the serious part of dating. You have to put in the time. What's the three-part rule? What was that? It's kind of like the sun, moon, and stars. You follow nature. You follow God. I say, you know, um, everything has a balance. Light, darkness, mother, father, child. I just kind of gave it my own name. Yeah, and and how were you relating that to dating again? You said what? Were you talking about? um, It's fun to hmm. date. It's exciting. You got the new person in your life that, you know, seems to be exciting. But still, you got the serious side. So you got the fun. You got the exciting side. or and you got the serious side, and they all go together. You can't have somebody that's too serious and no fun. Um, it's a balance. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's a balance. That um, might be <laughs> a little funny, but. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Because um, I, I practice that in, in, my, in my marriage. Um, Wait, let me say this, too, because if you ahead. do it before you, before you marry, it will be easier in the marriage. You don't have to be so serious all the time and not have any fun or do anything exciting. Cause if you go into, if you marry the person that you're dating, you don't want to have to start your marriage off trying to make this other person be something that they're not or do something that they don't want to do. If you do all that work ahead of time, when you enter the marriage, it, it will be easier. Yeah. Um, so I've often had this thought is it seems like most people um, go after what they want, and but mm-hmm. not what they need. Yes. And I think me and you have talked about that in the past um, because that's something that I went through um, personally. And I'm sure a lot of people do. You kind of go after what you think you want and, and then that that's usually not right. <laughs> yeah, yes. And a lot of time it's just youthfulness, uh, being young and, you know, inexperienced. Everything as a child, 
you see it, you want it, you want ice cream, you want chocolate cake. It's just a carryover. And then when you get into the dating, you know, you see this person, they are either very pretty, might be the school's football uh, player or someone that's attractive to the eye. Yeah. Again, And that's what you want, but it's not what you need. So you have to grow past that and mature. Give yourself enough time. Don't rush. Uh, you will grow out of that stage. You know, it's a child stage. You know, you will grow out of that. But some people never <laughs> will never get out of it because they still are aroused by what they see or what they hear. You know, but you do grow past it and you can be uh, more of a serious uh, person looking for a mate. But it's again, you got to have that serious side. It just can't be all fun and excitement. Yeah, um, because that was the one of the main struggles I had when I got with Amy. Um, and Amy, I talk about her on the podcast all the time. She's okay with it because mm-hmm. um, we we think that our relationship can be a, a teaching tool, you know, for a lot of people, and we're okay to share that. Um, so. I don't know if you remember when I got with Amy, that was one of the things that I struggled with was she was different <laughs> than what I was used to. And yeah. what I was usually typically dating was the, um, the, the popular girl, the, the it girl, the, the cheerleader type girl, you know, the real fancy pretty it girl you know what I mean yeah yeah <laughs> because I was like I thought that's what you were supposed to do yeah I'm like oh I need that one you know <laughs> <laughs> and they always ended up ending horribly <laughs> yeah and but not to say that um you know my wife um isn't um a beautiful person or pretty or any of that it, she's just she was really different meaning like she was more reserved. She was, she was quiet. Um, you know, you, you know, Amy, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a beautiful person, beautiful person can ask for anybody better. Even if she had a, uh, been all these other things, she is the prime example to me of a great companion wife supporter. And from her family pouring into her, I'm sure she got some of that from her mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I know you said you don't focus on this, but again, for me, something I had to work through was her. She was also white, and yeah. I was like, "Oh man!" Like, I, <laughs> I was like, "I can't do this." <laughs> yeah, but she was the perfect fit for you. And like I said, another thing, I wasn't even raised in the '60s, you know, where it was so in front of your face, you know, about racism and the things that we went through in the 60s, civil rights bill, the right, the voting rights act, all of that, you know, was in our face, but still with all that, we didn't get distracted by color. We were just fighting for equal rights. Everybody need equal rights, no matter what color you are. So we never, my family never focused so much on, on race, on color when mm-hmm. it came to anything, you know, we were, Memphis was, I'm from Memphis. So Memphis was a pretty, uh, predominantly black city. It was kind of like New Orleans. So we were exposed to a lot of different things and a lot of people. So we, you know, I guess we felt comfortable being ourselves. We weren't afraid. 
you know, and that was a big help for me and my family because we didn't fear anybody and we didn't mistreat anybody. You know, it was just, just treat us right, we treat you right, you know. So race, is, that's never been a big factor. I know a lot of people have to work through it and they don't like it, whatever. But when we were, I just believe we were all created as human beings. Mm-hmm. And you treat and you respect people. I mean, it could be uh, a black person disrespecting another black person or another white person disrespecting another white person. You know, it's, it's either right or wrong. Yeah. Color has nothing to do with it. Yeah. And so kind of point that out to say again you know that's one of those conversations you had with me um about amy and um trying to figure out if that was the right move mm-hmm. <laughs> for me because that's a big decision um and uh it was just a lot of internal struggles that i was able to work through um, again, by just talking to you, I, I, I mean, I wasn't talking to anybody else <laughs> about that. And sometimes I wonder if I bothered you too much because <laughs> no, I was because... always talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were, you were one of those people that always wanted to know truth. And we've, we've discussed this from the time you were small, wanted to know truth. And I think with that type of mindset, you know, a lot of people don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to know the truth. They don't want to believe the truth, you know. Yeah. But you were always one of those people. And I think because of that, your hunger for knowledge and your thirst for doing things was just where it should have been. Because how would you have liked it if I had to just held things from you or not told you things and let it just hit you over the head? You know, that wouldn't have been right. Yeah. Know? And then, and then you could handle the truth. It didn't hurt you or bother you. It just made you hunger for more truth. So, I think that was a good thing. Yeah, because um, I I remember, um, kind of going back, dating all those other girls, and you you would never tell me I was making the wrong decision. <laughs> um, I, I can't even exactly remember how you would talk to me about like girls I was dating. You, I mean, for the most part, you were always supportive. I don't really remember you ever saying, you know, this isn't the right one. I think you would say things to me like, um, be open and honest or talk about things. You were always trying to feed me healthy information about, the relationship mm-hmm. and even if like i guess if something didn't feel right you would say well maybe you need to talk about that i, I kind of remember these things because it's been a while yeah um do you remember any of that like i won't like i said i'm not gonna name anybody's name <laughs> but you never discouraged me i don't think from dating any specific girl i was dating no and and as your mom and as a woman trust me i knew <laughs> which girls were right, which was wrong. But usually when you come at a person and you try to force something in their head, it doesn't work that well. You, again, you set that communication tone where you can say things, you know, you need to look, you need to see this, or is anybody pushing up on you or trying to force you to do things or act a certain way. And then that would make you think and make you reevaluate your own situation. Yeah. Yeah, so 
that gives you that wiggling room, you know, to be able to talk to your children and say, well, you know, you know, how's this? How's that? How's her family treating you? You know, they want you to do this. Remember one lady wanted you to take her daughter to the prom and she was pushing up on that. And, yeah. You know, yeah, it's just, you just say, keep that communication going and then, you know, you can have those little moments where you can say things to make the child, you know, okay, this is not right or I should not be doing this or whatever. Yeah. You definitely left room for me to figure it out. You know, like you said, Mm -hmm. you didn't really tell me it was wrong, but you kind of maybe dropped clues. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And And then if you get it wrong, you still don't throw the situation away. You still have to work to get the child where they needs to be. You know, it's just, of, you know, having that that love and that commitment to your child. You know, a lot of people say, okay, you, you did this wrong, you messed up, you know. No, you don't do that. You try to keep it where you can keep the relationship open. Because, it's, you know, aging is a process. It's going to happen more than once. And you don't want the child sneaking around and doing things and whatever that's not healthy or good for them. So, you you know, you don't come down on them you want to keep things going and keep it open so going to going forward they can grow yeah and also think if you were to like directly say that this person is wrong or whatever that Mm -hmm. might be that probably would backfire yeah you would be like well the mom just doesn't like this person and I'm going to date him anyway because I'm I'm a kid and I'm a rebel you know (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course. And then the other part of that, if the other person know that the mother don't care for them, then it gives them ammunition to use to get you to do what they don't want you to do. You know. Yeah. <laughs> wow, it's such a game. It's. Yeah. <laughs> it's so That's why I said, again, it goes back to that communication when you're young, trying to build those communication blocks and be open and be honest. So the child will always have that opportunity to talk to you. Yeah. Because when you get to be a teenager, if you haven't done that, usually it's, it's, it's too late. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you, um, you don't have to really maybe say specifics, but you were saying as a mother, you knew when I brought the wrong girl home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did you know that? Was that something you knew right away or was it over time? Well, it just tells on itself, the person, how they handle themselves, how they act when they come into your home, mm-hmm. how they treat you, how they how they treat the parents, um, the way they, it, it's just, it's an atmosphere that they have. Yeah. And you can pick it up. It's not hard. <laughs> Even you... when a person is uh, on the little sneaky side, it's all in their eyes. You can <laughs> <laughs> Especially as you, you know, being a parent, you've grown through it. You've been through it. Yeah. You've seen it. Yeah. So it's not hard to recognize. You have to want to to see it. Yeah. Did you ever pray about it? Like, oh, God, I hope, please don't let bad get with this one. (laughs) No, I didn't really have to. No, because those communications were there. And, you know, I could drop the nuggets in and whatever when I needed to. To where it didn't offend you or make you upset. You know, you could give something food for thought as people say yeah and eventually came up it showed out showed showed itself up okay 
Yeah, when the girls are just wanting money, popularity, uh, name recognition, you know, all that. When that starts showing up, you can you tell you can tell what it is. Yeah. Um, that's funny too, because kids always think they can fool um, parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, they always think they can trick the parents or fool the parents, and it's funny because we don't kids don't think about parents as being smart or having lived life and been around. It's like they think they were born old. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's so true. That's just a funny um, thought I had. Um, so I also wanted to ask you, uh, Mom, I wanted to see if you could tell me, like, maybe some of the challenges you faced dating as a young person. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I know you were saying you were really sheltered, mm-hmm. um, at, at a young age and, um, uh, and you talk about how you were uh, real pretty and, and, and the guys, and they would, they would act out <laughs> stuff yeah. around you. And you said some would offer you money and stuff, I think in college mm-hmm. and, um, or I can't remember what you said they did. Um, but just a lot of. A lot of nonsense. Um, what were some of the things, I guess, that you had to overcome having been sheltered and then, um, you know, trying to date? Like, were you afraid to date? Uh, were you real cautious of, of guys? Did Big Mama tell you to watch out for guys? Like, how did that <laughs> How did that play out? Well, the the most thing, the, the the thing that I had to accomplish, the hardest thing for me to learn was I was I was trusting. Uh, since I was sheltered, mom kept me pretty close under her wings and not a lot of uh, exposure. I was trusting, and I had to learn not to be. Mm-hmm. I had to learn to let people prove themselves. And that's where the serious side comes in. Uh, because I was treated well and loved. I thought everybody was treated like I was treated. Mm-hmm. So I was working from that standpoint, but that's not always the case. So I had to learn not to be so trusting. And I think women as a whole, we, we tend to want to give the benefit of the doubt to people. And uh, so that was the hardest thing for me to learn is to just you know study people and not be so trusting. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother had put enough into me about uh, women and dating, and she always told me that the woman sets the tone for dating. Uh, and I always, when I went off to college, you know, she, she just gave me a lot of nuggets and things. And so I practiced those things that she told me, and maybe I was a little fearful, I don't know, but she had given me so much, I was trying to evaluate and do everything that she told me. And I know people say, well, that might not might be hard to do, but I did it for about two years. Mm-hmm. And it just took me a while to, to learn not to be so trusting and study people and see what they were really all about. Because uh, to be honest, in the dating world, you know, men are sexually active. And usually women aren't. Uh, women is looking for that perfect husband type guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a process again. You have to learn people and see what they want and you just don't want to be used and disregarded you know so uh you know as a woman like i say she sets the tone in the relationship she decides where you eat whether you're going to mcdonald's or red lobster or going to 
uh, high class restaurant, you know, and the guy usually follow along. I hate to say that, but that's the the truth of it. And uh, of course, if he doesn't have the money or whatever, you know, you talk that over, th- talk that through also. But um, you know, women just learn that they're in control pretty much and uh, what they want and their standards, and that's what you that's what you lean to. But uh, the trusting part was because uh, I, I somehow what my husband said like this when, when we were very young. He goes, Marianne, you were very naive. <laughs> and I was because I wasn't used to bad people. But there are bad people out there. Yeah. No. So, you know, you have to uh, be cautious in areas and study and, you know, just learn life a little bit. And we all have to go through that as young people as we grow uh to be who we're going to be you know you don't want to be mean and angry and nothing like that but you just have to be you have to evaluate people in situations and try to make the best decisions that you can make for that but i never saw myself as a a pretty girl i was framed like that i never used that as part of who i was uh but other people thought so and because of that, you know, people are always trying to get with you to be in your in your in your world. And uh, but that wasn't an issue for me. I never got hung up on anything like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Never, never got into that mindset. You know, other people that were carnal type people, they were into that. And I was a majorette in college and had all that going on. But it just it didn't mean that much to me. I was just Marianne. <laughs> <laughs> as, they, as they said I never had the big head put it that way yeah um, so I want to ask you do you think that because um, you said women set the tone do you mm-hmm. do you think that a lot of women um, not just today but maybe back in the day would for fear of being alone they allow things that they shouldn't allow of course, yes. Okay. Yes, and I think a lot of women deal with that if they're honest, because I can remember when I was in college, I wanted to go out to the clubs. I wanted to party. Everybody was you know, they was having fun but me. <laughs> but uh, my mom had also taught me uh, before I went off to school that, you know, you can have fun at home. You, you know, because I know this is not allowed, you know, uh, minors drinking or whatever. Mm-hmm. But she would say, she would buy, she said, well, what do you want to drink? You want to, to drink some beer? And in my day, it was beer. It wasn't mixed drinks that much. Mm-hmm. And so she would let me get what I wanted. I <laughs> And I could watch the late show and have a beer and go to bed. And it was a teaching moment. It wasn't so much about uh, allowing me to do whatever I wanted to do, but she was learning teaching me how to have fun in my own space, in my own home. And not only did it help me go through some of that, but when I went off to college, I was able to go drink and not get drunk or be taken advantage of because I had to share that experience with my mom. So uh, a lot of women, you know, they would escape into the desire to just get out there in the street, uh, just, you know, just be with the crowd, don't want to be alone. Uh, don't want to be labeled as a loner, you know, so they will give in to temptations and things like that. But again, you know, 
if you kind of pour into them while they're young, it will help them. And going going back to that, when you guys were small, I was always, because I had three sons, I was always worried about boys in the street on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I always try to plan something to keep you at home, entertain you. I remember we had Friday late night. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. You'd <laughs> <laughs> be real Friday. excited. What movie are we going to watch this Friday? <laughs> yeah, and I forget what food I could get for you that you liked. I'd make fun made home fun so you wouldn't look to the streets on the weekend and then for the holidays you know always did special things and uh for new year's you know you had non-alcoholic drinks but i made sure you had something on the table just for yourself to make you feel special and when you guys got to be teenagers and everybody was pulling you to the street you always made it home before midnight to get your drink (laughs) (laughs) for your celebration you know it started that young though see yeah, You know, the non-alcoholic grape drink and, you know, just feeding into you so that when you got grown, you would have the thought of mind of your own and not other people. And you know what, Mom? Well, I don't like going out that much now. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoy your home. I like you being enjoy- home <laughs> with my loved ones. <laughs> yeah, but see, again, think about it. I know parents say, oh, you can't drink, you can't do this. No, you teach them while they're young, and you set the tone and the model for them to help them when they are older. Wow. Yeah. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I want to kind of go back to you were talking about um, – how we just said, you know, some women are afraid of being alone, so they put up with more than they mm-hmm. should, and they end up kind of maybe getting used yeah. uh, or run through, and then they're upset about that happening to them, but they don't change the cycle. And I personally see a lot of that. And um, I, I think it's even worse today than it was yeah. in, in my day with all the internet and social media. Mm-hmm. And um, I talk about this a lot with Amy because this isn't just exclusive to dating. This is with careers, people's homes. With the internet, it it's now allowed people to um, portray a fake image of their life. And so um, I, like, I can't imagine having Instagram or Facebook in high school in, in my mm-hmm. day. Because you could, people, like, I, you hear about um, kids today, like, committing suicide. Yeah, I know. Because of peer pressure and social media, like, expectations or, or, or social media, like, bullying. Yeah. And to me, I'm like, in my head, but obviously I'm from a different generation, like, that's nuts to me. I'm like... Just turn the phone off <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or put the phone down. And, but I, but I do remember like having, um, trouble with like guys at school that, that were picking on me, um, or maybe girls who were making fun of me. Um, again, what got me through a lot of that was being able to talk to you, mm-hmm. um, about, you know, what I was experiencing and, um, you know, thank God I was able to pull through that, but I can't imagine that having, I guess, having that compounded with social media 
And like, for example, do you remember that time I got dunked on at that game? Yeah. Imagine yeah. if they had phones and they could take a picture of that. Yeah. And then replay it. <laughs> yeah. And like, ooh, Matt, you it would be rough. Yeah, it would. <laughs> you know? Um, and I don't think kids today are from what I've seen, a lot of them don't seem to be equipped to deal with that kind of pressure. Yeah. And so they snap. Well, I think, again, it has to go back to the parent again because you can't feel alone. When the, when you told me about the situation, because I wasn't at the game, it was a, in a away game, I didn't leave you alone to deal with that. I went straight to the coach and told him I didn't like that. Well, let me do this before because they don't they might not know what we're talking about. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> um, but hold, no, hold that thought. So I was at – I think this was uh, – was I like a junior in high school or sophomore? I think you were a junior. Okay. And I was in, uh, we played an away game in Ironton, Ohio. And um, there was a fast break, and um, I went to block this guy's, what I thought was a layup, and he dunked on me. And he, it was it was bad. <laughs> like, you see it down in the NBA all the time. You know? Poster. <laughs> he posterized me, right? <laughs> but I'm like six, 17, 16 at the time, something like that. Yeah. And he dunked on me, and he knocked me to the ground. And I, he knocked me over to the cheerleaders and they were looking at me and the whole gym like erupted and they were all looking at me and laughing. And my teammates, my friends were also laughing and making fun of me. And that continued that that was like a three hour bus ride. Mm-hmm. They, they gave it to me the whole bus ride home. I was in the back of the bus trying not to cry. Mm-hmm. I was they gave it to me like the next few months, you know, at school. Yeah, and this sort of thing happens to kids all the time, um, so it's not exclusive to me, obviously. And so, like I said, I was going through that, and they were picking on me every day, and um, going through that. You know, for whatever reason, um, like you said, having you to talk to, you stepped in. You said, "What were you saying? You didn't leave me alone." You, what were you right. talking to the coach? Right. What'd you do? But that's what happens with kids when they feel violated or or uh, intimidated. They feel alone. Uh, they're, they're, that's where the desperation set in. And uh, when I hear about the kids committing suicide, it, it really bothered me because, you know, that's traumatic. Uh, and so it goes back to the communication again. If a child is being bullied like they were doing you about the dunk, you might not, you might not call it bullying, but coming at you you know we talked about it we talked about how you felt about it how they were laughing and the coach didn't stop it uh so no i think they were laughing too yes yeah, the grown men were laughing at me yeah so it, it took me to the next level because you know i'm like okay i'm his mom i have to you know step in and say something because i'm the one available how it's working out of state i'm the one that's here so i went to the coach and told him exactly how I felt about that situation. You being a child, he being an adult, and allowing that to take place and that the other kids do that. That's wrong. So again, just being engaged with you, uh, you know, you telling me about your feelings, your situation, then it's my job as a parent to cover you. You know, I can't make the kids stop, but I can certainly say something to the coach that it wouldn't happen again to try to shut it down. But kids feel isolated and alone 
and they, they take drastic measures. And you really don't want that. You should tell your children how much you love them. You should tell them how beautiful they are. You know, uh, my mother wasn't a touchy-feely mother. It wasn't her generation. Like, we kiss all hate and, you know, play with him or whatever. That's your mm-hmm. son. They didn't do a lot of that in my generation. My mom was born in 1909. So, you know, they didn't do all that. But she always told me she loved me. She always told me uh, how I could go to the next level. She always gave me something to reach for. She would always told, told me something to make me feel good on the inside, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when people were coming at me in my lifetime, girls that wanted to pull my hair and, you know, the things that you go through when you're a kid, it didn't feel comfortable, but I knew on the inside who I was. And so I didn't let it throw me, you know. Uh, I fought through it because of the inner, uh, the love and the respect and the things that my mother gave to me. So so kids will always be, you know, deal with the kid that don't like them or the bullying. You have to give them something on the inside to make them strong so they don't feel isolated and alone. Mm-hmm. to make them do something drastic uh, like that. They should be able to come to someone and say something. And you have to remember, as this generation with all this Internet stuff, you have to really be on the job mm-hmm. because you have, they got more coming at them than you had coming at you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a job, parenting. It's a job. If you put in all that time on your physical job, you can't go home and spend 30 minutes with your child and think that's going to do it. No. We have to go out to eat together and not fast food. I mean, sit down and break bread together and talk and be intimate. You have to have those type of relationships with your children to sustain them through life. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't think the coaches liked me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've always been your own person. <laughs> I don't uh, think they liked me. <laughs> <laughs> well, just think about it. Someone who uh, is able to do things on their own, uh, don't have to rely on them, you know, the, the next person. Usually a good teacher or a good coach would push that person. That's where you get a lot of your your professional athletes from. You got somebody pushing you, Yeah. you know? So it's a difference when someone is pushing you to get you to, you know, to be better than someone's, you know, looking at you and say, well, he can do this. I'm not going to help him or I'm going to laugh and make fun. It's a big difference. But when you have someone that's really in your corner and pushes you, it takes you to another level. Yeah. You remember that um, one coach? I uh, I turned down that that uh, NBA uh, golf tournament. Oh, yes, yes, yes. He didn't like it, did he? did not like that. He did not like it because you did not want to go. You wanted to do something else. Yeah. And I think Charles Barkley was supposed to be there and some other people. Yeah. Yeah, so it was all about him. So when you didn't accept his invitation, then he wanted to come at you, a kid. Yeah. Is that crazy? That's crazy, right? Yes, (laughs) yes. But he didn't like me either because he knew I didn't like that. Yeah. 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 So let me um let me ask you this and we can wrap up with this. Um I wanted to okay. see if I could get you to tell us one of your stories. <laughs> one of my stories. Okay, and the one that comes to mind, it's maybe not a long story, but do you remember the bag of of change 
that uh, you said somebody threw at you. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> well, okay. I got two situations here. Now, one was when I was in college. One was after college. Which one are we talking about here? I think this the was one- the was this the majorette thing or not the maybe yeah, it was oh, okay. the cap okay. uh, the fraternity thing or something. Yeah, I- <laughs> yeah, that was when I was in college. Okay, that was this was uh, when I was in school. Like I said, I didn't have a big head or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, but I did get to be uh, a major red, and we traveled with the football team. And wait, this is Tennessee State University, right? Tennessee State, yes. Yeah, okay. Tennessee State in Nashville. Uh, and so I got to do some things like that. And then uh, I was the Kappa Alpha Psi sweetheart, and a couple of other fraternities that had asked me if I would run, but I chose to do my husband's <laughs> fraternity. And so I was there, yes, sweetheart, for a while. And then when it was time to select a Miss TSU uh, candidate, uh, I had a group of young men come to me and they asked me to rep- if I would run and that they would back me. Well, I didn't want to be Miss TSU. I didn't want to run for anything like that. I was happy doing my own thing. And when I turned it down, he had a bag of change. <laughs> And I guess he knew that I might not accept it or might say something he didn't like. And so when I turned it down, he threw it at me. He took it out and threw the money at me, threw the change at me to hurt me. You know, and I kind of took off running. But, uh, yeah, that, that actually happened. Like the whole bag or just he threw it uh, out at you? You know, like opened he, it up. he had a little bag, a drawstring bag. Uh-huh. And I didn't pay any attention to that. You mean you know, like a royal crown bag, but smaller? Yeah. With a string. Yeah. And uh, he told he threw that at me because I turned down the invite not to run for Miss TSU. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how did you deal with that? Did you just run away and? I just ran and <laughs> stepped away from him. You know. <laughs> yeah. Did you laugh about it? Did you tell your friends? Did you call Big Mama? Oh, yes, yes. I told my friends about it. I didn't actually. I didn't report him. I just told my friends about it. Uh, he wasn't a threat to me mm-hmm. on campus or anything like that. But they had a, a group of uh, young men uh, that were not in a fraternity, but they were kind of like a black tower group back then, we would call them. Mm-hmm. And they wanted a candidate to run uh, that they could support. And they select, they wanted me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know them, actually. I seen them in the cafeteria, the union hall, things like that. Because uh, we only had about 5,000 students on campus, so you kind of knew everybody. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, but I just only knew them from that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I know, and I know you got lots of stories, and I, I just was curious if I get to just tell us one of them because you, you've been through a lot and you've seen a lot. Yes. And you lived in all kind of places. You've lived in, uh, so obviously, Memphis. Uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Springfield, Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, and now I'm in Texas. Texas. You lived in uh, California, uh, California. uh, In the jungle? Yes, in the jungle. (laughs) You lived in the jungle for a while? (laughs) Where is that at? Is that in... That's in Los Angeles and LA. What part? Is that like, um, I don't know the the layout. Um, I've only been there like once or twice. Is that Compton? Is that Inglewood? Like, where is that? I can't remember. It's been so long because I was right after uh, I graduated from college. I went to California for about two years. Yeah. But I can't remember. That was back in 1972. So that's been a while back, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> I have a cousin in California. He he laughs about it all the time. Well, yeah, because he, he took me there. 
And yeah. uh, he was like, yo, this is where training day was set uh, mm-hmm. with Denzel. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, but you know, back then, though, when I was there, it was a nice place. Yeah. It was a nice area, and it was covered in palm trees and beautiful trees. That's why they called it the jungle. Yeah. And I had a nice job working at a boutique and uh, making decent money. So, you know, I could afford it mm-hmm. and uh, enjoyed it. But eventually got bored and lonesome and wanted to come back home. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, it, I, I think the the nature of the or the topic of the podcast was we were supposed to kind of talk about dating, but it seems like... <laughs> It seems like the the moral of the 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 story here in this podcast is relationships with your parents. Yeah. yeah, with your children and your parents. Yeah, because that seems to drive a lot of our behavior. Yes, it does. And I I think with the with with life because like I say you never know what you're going to go through. You want to put as much into a child as you can and don't think you're doing too much you're not mm-hmm. you can never do too much but to give them all that you can give them to stand against any type of situation circumstances that they find themselves into i mean you can have a kid in prison i mean you can have a kid that's in college you know no matter what you want to equip that child when they are young and pack them with all the good that you can so that when they are older and they find themselves even in a bad relationship, they can come home. Mm-hmm. They can call you. They can talk to you and you can work it out. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, thank you, mom. Thanks for, okay. <laughs> thanks for coming on. And I love to me. you. You, see, you can't, you never get to tell somebody you love them. I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I will see you Tuesday with that brisket. Okay. All right, all right. And we'll have it ready for you. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. All right, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, y'all. That is my mother, Marianne Osborne. Um, hope you enjoyed that podcast um, and that, that conversation. And uh, we're always trying to grow the podcast and, and, and expand it in ways so if you find um, you know this conversation helpful or useful, please tell your friends and family about it. Uh, share the episode on your um, social media and uh, tell, others, tell others about it. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. I'm going to go back to my old school uh, playlist and hit shuffle and see what comes up. Uh, hope everyone has a uh, good weekend and a uh, good Memorial Day. on the roll with these with these songs <laughs>